One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by, if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 42. Finish Him. Today's proverb comes from Goethe. I'll read it twice. Man's partial good resolutions that always succumb to ingrained habit are like the cleaning, scrubbing, and adorning that we practice on Sundays and feast days. We always get dirty again, to be sure, but such a partial cleaning process has the advantage of upholding the principle of cleanliness. Once more. Man's partial good resolutions, that always succumb to ingrained habit, are like the cleaning, scrubbing, and adorning that we practice on Sundays and feast days. We always get dirty again, to be sure, but such a partial cleaning process has the advantage of upholding the principle of cleanliness. Goethe embraces a much older view of sin and evil than most of us have. And I say that he embraces a view of sin and evil, though Goethe was not uh, Christian in the conventional sense of the word, because what he describes here in terms of cleanliness bears such a striking resemblance to repentance, holiness. This view of sin is a little paradoxical. You must fight temptation 
And yet you will not finally overcome temptation in this life. And we have to believe both of these things to accept this proverb. You must believe that fighting temptation is worthwhile. And yet you must be attentive enough to reality and to theology too, I suppose. So as not to believe that temptation, let alone sin and evil and suffering, can be overcome entirely in this life. This older view of evil, and when I say evil, I don't know whether to use the word evil or to use the word sin for the rest of the show. I'll say sin. This older view of sin does not treat sin or pain or suffering or evil as eradicable. This older view does not look at tragedy and say, why did this happen? How did this happen? What must we do to keep this from ever happening again? And these are always the questions that we ask after something very terrible happens. After someone shoots up a school, after someone murders many people in the same place at the same time, after passenger jets crash, after trains derail, after hundreds of people suffer terribly in a single moment, this is the question that modern people ask. They ask, how do we keep this from ever happening again? And we want some reassurance from those who make the law that these sorts of things can be prevented, these terrible tragedies. And we always go to people in the law first whenever these things happen. And we might get around to pastors and priests later. But the question that we go to government officials with in the wake of tragedy is, how do we keep this from ever happening again? It's really only after we've allowed politicians to mangle their plans and garble their words on how we're going to keep this from ever happening again that we go to religious authorities and say, can we keep this from ever happening again? And any well-informed religious authority is going to answer, no, there's no way we can ensure that awful things never happen again. And that's what, uh, that's where Goethe picks up. There's no way that we can say that some awful thing will never happen again. There's no way that we can even say that we will never commit a certain sin. Or that we'll never commit a certain sin again. So what we have to do is be willing, in Goethe's words, to make partial good resolutions. This is very problematic to the modern mind. We don't want to make partial good resolutions. We want resolutions that claim to be able to solve the problem of evil as a whole. And even the concept of the problem of evil is a modern fixation. Perhaps there are references to something like the modern conception of the problem of evil in antiquity. But you don't find a lot of medieval Christians talking about the problem of evil. The problem of evil 
is really more of an enlightened conception of evil, that evil is a problem that can be solved. And it is fascinating that we tend to think of so many of our troubles and our pains and our sufferings as problems, like math problems, for which there is some kind of solution. That's what problems have. Problems have solutions. And when we think of the problem of evil, or we think of the problem of alcoholism, or we think of the problem of murder or the problem of theft, we tend to conceive of evil as a thing for which there is some final solution that we just haven't found yet. And this is the great modern promise. The great modern promise is that if we think of all things, if we think of everything good and everything bad in the world in mathematical and scientific terms, and if we set aside religious superstition, then we can ultimately find answers for these problems. And we can put these problems behind us. In the same way that you solve a math problem once, and then you don't have to solve it again, we tend to think that there's a way to solve the problem of alcoholism, that there's a way of solving the problem of drug abuse in the same way that you solve long division problems, and then you know the answer, and the answer is always there, and you can always return to it. But Goethe doesn't look at it in those terms. He doesn't look at the problem of evil. He looks at evil not as some kind of monolithic singular thing, but as a various thing. Evil within Goethe's mind, so far as he represents himself in the quote, emerges from time to time, and it must be fought from time to time. Now again, let me, it's a longer proverb this week, so let me read it again. Man's partial good resolutions that always succumb to ingrained habit are like the cleaning, scrubbing, and adorning that we practice on Sundays and feast days. We always get dirty again, to be sure, but such a partial cleaning process has the advantage of upholding the principle of cleanliness. Lest we forget what cleanliness is, lest we forget that cleanliness is the goal from one moment to the next. We confess our sins over and over again, not in the anticipation that we will forever put them behind us, but as part of an ongoing, austere struggle against temptation, which is simply the lot that everyone on earth has been given. We have all been subjected to a life of temptation. All of life is one temptation, Martin Luther. He may be borrowing that from Augustine, I think, who said something very similar. But whether you're talking about Augustine or Luther, life is just one big temptation. Now, Goethe says man's partial good resolutions, the kind that always ultimately give way or finally give way to bad habits. I like the cleaning that we do on Sundays and feast days. Interesting that he says Sundays and feast days. Perhaps he's referring to the sort of confession of sin that's typical on such days or in preparation for such days. There is spiritual cleansing, and there is physical cleansing. Now, when he says man's partial good resolutions, I think 
the word resolutions needs to be understood in a fairly common way. Resolutions as in New Year's resolutions. You think about the kind of resolutions that people are apt to make at New Year's. I will drink less. I will eat less. I will look at my phone less. I will pray more. Think about the good things that we resolve to do. In the course of my life, I've met many people who don't like the idea of New Year's resolutions and who don't like the idea of making promises to God. And they say, you don't need to wait till New Year's to make a resolution to eat less and to drink less and to phone less. If those things are right and necessary, you must do them as soon as you realize it. I've also met people who say, well, if you're going to resolve to drink less and eat less, if you're not going to be such a drunk slob this year, why not make a resolution for everything? Certainly, if you're a drunk slob, this is not the only two sins that you commit. Why not make a hundred resolutions? If the two resolutions that you're going to make are going to be of any value, why not make a hundred? Why stop at two? That perspective tends to look at evil in a very modern way, which is that you must deal with all evil completely and totally at once, or there's no point in fighting any of it. Now, when you clean your house you probably start with the most easy, obvious places to see clutter and mess. Or the places that the guests are most likely to see. Bathroom, living room. Think about the places that you tidy up when your guests come over. Or think about the sort of tidying you do in connection with turning over a new leaf, you probably start with your closet. Now, depending on the nature of your problem, you begin cleaning in a different place. And it would be unfair to tell someone who resolved to keep the kitchen tidier. Well, if you're going to keep the kitchen tidier, keep the whole house tidier. What do you need to make a resolution to make the kitchen tidier for. If that's going to work, then promise yourself to clean the attic and the garage, too. And to go to the rented storage place that you have and clean that out as well. What's the point in cleaning one room if you're not going to clean every last thing you own? That's not reasonable. And I want to say that that's not reasonable because it's not livable. It's a sort of despair that approaches the good work that God makes obvious to us and comes up with reasons for not doing it. Well, if you're going to clean one room, why don't you clean it all? As though there's no point in doing a little good if you cannot do all the good in the world. Now, if we see all of this in terms of Repentance, if we're looking at Goethe's comments on cleaning in terms of repentance, we're often tempted to view repentance as a thing which only works 
if it works to eradicate sins of the future as well. Whereas Goethe suggests that repentance, by which I mean our renewed resolutions to look at our phones less, drink less, curse less, yell less, pray more, give more, is a sort of maintenance that we perform on our soul. Now, Goethe is not a Christian in any conventional sense of the word, but he presents a good image of repentance here as a promise to better our way of life. Repentance is a resolution to goodness. And the fact that it doesn't hold eternally is no reason to not make it over and over again. No cleaning that you do in your home will last forever. You wash the dishes. You've got to wash them again. You make your bed. You're going to have to make it again. This is simply the way that you keep up appearances. Things fall apart. You put them back together. They fall apart again over and over and over. And Goethe says you keep doing it to uphold the principle of cleanliness, lest you forget what you're living for. Lest you forget repentance is a sort of lifelong response to the world. Of course, the quotation doesn't exactly suggest repentance, because Goethe refers to partial resolutions to good. He knows that, however, I will be good from now on is a foolish thing to say. You have to be specific. And in that way, we have to make partial resolutions to be good. It would be, it would be foolish. It would be naive for repentance to conclude with, and so, God, I will be good from now on. You have to be specific. Good how? What do you plan on doing? I have this project that I give my students. Whenever I teach medieval literature, the Monastic Week Project, I write about this in my book, Something They Will Not Forget, where the students propose a monastic code for themselves, and then they live by it for one week, and then they observe all the loopholes that they sought out, all the excuses they used to not obey the laws that they had made for themselves of their own free will. And this project has several stages of grading. And the first stage of grading is on their ability to write a specific law code for themselves. And when I give this assignment, I tell everyone, you've got to reflect on the ways that the devil goes after you. The devil goes after you in ways that he doesn't necessarily go after all people. The devil's got a file on you. It's this thick. He's got a long history of everything he's ever tried on you that works and doesn't. He's not going to tempt you in ways that you're strong. He's going to try to exploit your weakness. So know your own weakness and create safeguards against your weakness. So the students draft a law for themselves. And it's amazing how often the initial law codes that they propose to themselves are not, in keeping with Goethe's instruction, partial good resolutions, partial resolutions to good. Instead, they make resolutions to be kind 
It's the sort of thing they tell themselves to do. I have a problem with cruelty to other people, so this week I resolve to be kind. Sometimes I sass my mother. This week, I will be respectful. I always mark all these up and say, no, this is not a resolution to do good. This is simply a hope that you will suddenly become good. What are you going to do, though? How are you going to respect your mother? It's like resolving to be a good housekeeper. But not making plans to clean or scrub or adorn anything in particular. And so I tell them, no. How are you going to be kind? How will you know that you've been kind? Tell me what observable thing you will do that is kind or is respectful. And there are some students who have a problem with the specificity of the assignment. And they despair that they will simply come up with ways of breaking the rules, that they will simply commit other sins. And they, they despair, like modern people, that they cannot solve all their spiritual problems in one fell swoop. They are sad that they cannot create a spiritual utopia within their very person with a few, I don't know, a few strokes of a pen. But Goethe says it's worth it to start small. I've been very close to doing a show on the saying of Chesterton, Anything worth doing is worth doing badly. I think the same is true of repentance. It's worth it to be honest with yourself about the ways that you need to repent and to acknowledge that repentance will have to take place, really, piecemeal over the course of your life. I don't mean that you can't repent of, quote, all my sins that I've committed this day and every day of my whole life. I mean, of course you can do that. Of course you can, you can say those formulas. And there are ways of drawing close to God that will allow you to fight all your vices at once. I believe that's true as well. But really the devil goes after us in very particular ways. We know what our burden is. You know what sin it is that the devil always trips you up on. And people are tempted to say that until I solve this problem, I can't really solve any of the other ones as well. And they seem to believe that all their sins are eventually going to go away whenever some kind of illumination occurs within their soul. And they'll simply not fall prey to sin or temptation ever again. Consequently, I have noticed that people who approach sin this way tend to be far more acrobatic in excusing their sins or in explaining them away than people who acknowledge that sins have to be dealt with through a series of partial good resolutions. I deal with this regularly with my students. My students attempt to justify their bad habits 
as opposed to simply acknowledging them as bad habits, repenting of them, and then repenting over and over and over again of them. My students have this, have these outrageous video game addictions. I play video games for three, four, five hours a day. And when I find this out, I say, you know, that's terrible for you. That's awful. It's just rotting your brain. I prefer the students who say, yes, I know. I'm going to quit. (laughs) I prefer I'm going to quit when somebody says, I've got a three or four hour video game addiction. I say, that's awful. You should quit. I prefer the student who says, yes, I know. To the student who launches off on some explanation. Well, there are professional video game players. I'm quite good. Maybe I'll make a living on this. When I hear students say that, I say, just, if you're going to sin, then just do it and ask for forgiveness. Quit justifying it. If you're going to do it, do it. Be bold. And then be bold in your repentance. And pray for God's mercy. And if you do it again, then be honest with yourself about it. Don't make an excuse for it. There's so much more that the teacher of virtue can do with a brazen student than with a student who has a reason for every nasty thing they do. Like when I catch students, boys always, out of dress code, I tell them, well, you're in violation of the dress code. Shirt's untucked. You came to class with your shirt untucked. I far prefer the student who says something like, yep, what you going to do about it? Then the student who, like, turns into Sherlock Holmes. I was like, whoa, I didn't know. Wow. This is amazing. I, how could it possibly have come untucked? You gotta sin, just do it. Be bold about it. Don't let there be any ambiguity in your mind about what you're doing. Because if you admit to yourself what you're doing, that's the first half of repentance. You'll never repent if you spend your whole life justifying it. Repentance is a sort of lifelong, tireless endeavor where we not only have to forgive people 70 times, seven times, we have to ask for forgiveness 70 times, seven times. We have to not become weak. We have to not despair of seeking forgiveness the 489th time. God cannot forgive you that many times if you can't confess your sin that many times. And if you become obstinate and refuse to confess your sin, what do you expect God to say of you? What will you ask of God in the end of a life you have spent justifying your own sin? We always get dirty again, to be sure. But the man who cleans his soul continually believes in righteousness. And the man who despairs of cleaning his soul 
does not believe in righteousness. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.